Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. There are two items I want to get to in this episode. One, the situation with Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers. And two, the state of the U.S. national team as it arrives in Tokyo for the Olympics particularly looking at the new additions as they try to cobble together a COVID-free roster and what it all means as far as their prospects of winning another gold medal. As you may know, I'm a surfer living just south of San Francisco. I'm not sure what all goes into creating this sort of condition. Maybe multiple swells from different directions arriving at the same time, Maybe a weird alignment of sandbars that causes rip currents to collide. But it creates a sort of turbulence in the water. I've got surf buddies of mine that could probably give you a better understanding of why it happens the way it happens. I can read the tides, the swell directions, the wind. have a pretty good feel for all of the local breaks, but uh, I'm not into the minutia. Or at least I haven't been yet. A couple books out there I want to read. Maybe one day. Maybe in a future podcast I'll be able to explain it better. In any case, it's the kind of turbulence that you can't see necessarily. Other than maybe a little chop. But you just feel it when you're out there. You constantly feel like the ocean is pushing you around. And one minute you're in one spot. And the next you find yourself 20 yards in some direction you never intended to go. And you're paddling, trying to hold the spot for where you think you're going to catch the wave. 
We just refer to it as a lot of move, water moving around or being in a washing machine. If there's a more visual or apt description for it, I haven't heard it. But that's what the Damian Lillard situation in Portland is like right now. There feels like there's a lot of commotion without any concise direction. Now, For my Blazers fans, I wouldn't worry for now about Damian going anywhere. His personal situation really isn't as scintillating as it has been made out to be in other corners of the media. What I've heard is that he intends to stay with the Blazers for now and give Chauncey Billups, the new head coach, and the organization a chance to build a better team than what they have currently. I personally don't know that he'd ever get to the point that he'd demand a trade because there are so many elements he'd have to sacrifice to make it work. One, there's no guarantee he would be the man at his next stop. Two, because of the size of his contract, the assets that the team he'd be going to, and that contract runs for at least another three, four years, and goes up to like $54 million before it's over, the team he's going to would have to give up so many assets, it's hard to imagine that they would still be a championship caliber team, guaranteed. He assuredly wouldn't have the input and authority with the organization that he has now with the Blazers. And it would take some time to develop the kind of relationship he has with the Portland fan base elsewhere. Damien owns Portland. He is revered. He's also a champion for the underdog. It's in his DNA. The AAU team he played for in Oakland was called the Rebels. And they were the stepbrother to the legendary Oakland Soldiers. He stayed with the Rebels because his friends he grew up with were on the team. He undoubtedly could have transferred to a bigger school after showing what he could do at Weber State as a freshman, but he stayed all four years, in large part because they were the team that showed the most early interest. That's why he went there in the first place. The Blazers betting on him over Harrison Barnes from UNC and Austin Rivers from Duke and Andre Drummond from UConn, all bigger names, all bigger schools, means something to him. Loyalty is one of his unshakable traits. His statement that the Blazers' current roster is not good enough to play for a title is an accurate one. He needs more dogs around him, particularly a big man dog. They have a lot of nice role players who are not the least bit physically imposing. Norman Powell, Robert Covington, and C.J. McCollum all play bigger than they actually are. But that can only go so far. Their big man rotation is their biggest weakness. Yusuf Nurkic remains a big kid whose contributions are too uneven to rely on. Ennis Cantor is a strong offensive rebounder and a decent scorer, but he's not enough. Not even sure he's a starting center in this league. Harry Giles was an abject disappointment. Somebody that I thought was going to be a big plus and contributed nothing. Zach Collins can't stay healthy. The problem is that the water moving around isn't just the disturbance of Damian Lillard expressing his dissatisfaction with the roster. Reports on the vetting of Chauncey Billups created a firestorm in Portland, even if it didn't quite make national news at the same level. And it was a firestorm that threatened GM Neil Olshay's livelihood. I personally have mixed feelings about the reports 
and the criticism of the Blazers' introductory press conference. From a business standpoint, the Blazers have no obligation to do a live autopsy on what Billups is accused of doing in 1997. The attorney general who presided over the case back then, in which Billups, a rookie with the Celtics, and several other men were accused of sexual assault. And the attorney general told one of the Portland-based reporters, you and your colleague can continue to work this story until the cows come home, but you will not be able to change the bottom line. This was said in an email. Mr. Billups is telling the truth about the incident you refer to. You called me and I've tried to help you, but enough is enough. Case closed. And neither Riley nor the attorney for the accuser, only known as Jane Doe, wanted to discuss the case. There were no criminal charges brought and the civil suit was settled out of court. If you read all the details, there's enough there to go any direction you like, but not enough to find a clear understanding of what actually transpired. I struggle with the idea that Billups worked for ESPN and the Clippers, and the case didn't create a stumbling block or raise questions about his fitness for a job until now. Apparently, the fact that the Blazers were considering both Billups and Jason Kidd for the job raised a chorus of complaints, since Kidd had a domestic violence incident with his first wife when he was playing in Phoenix. I happen to know all the details of that incident. I got them sitting with both Jason and his wife at the time, Jumana. It involved Jumana grabbing a few french fries off his plate and him knocking them out of her hand as she tried to put them in her mouth. Jason caught part of her lip with his hand in the act. She called. She was angry. They were already fighting. She was angry. She called the police. As someone who's made a few mistakes in his life and had the chance to clean my side of the street, not any domestic or violence issues to be clear, it's hard for me to see one incident in the case of Kidd or Billups, and I, I assume that's the case with Billups, I know that to be the case with Kidd. I find it hard to hold those as a scarlet letter that should mark them as unworthy of ever coaching an NBA team. I don't want to be insensitive to the cases of domestic violence or violence toward women. But I'm just not sure that I can take one incident with Jason Kidd and inflate it into him being a wife beater or Chauncey Billups, if this was the one incident, and it's the only incident we've ever heard of or know of, as a sexual predator. If we do want to hold that line, then we should have been looking at the previous employers of Jason Kidd and Chauncey Billups, the Lakers and the Clippers and ESPN. And if we want to hold that line, we should be looking at everyone under that microscope. Owners, GMs, players. Why is hiring a coach any different? As for the disappointment that the Blazers didn't make Becky Hammond the first female NBA head coach, look around. There were more than a half dozen openings, and no one ventured down that road. Teams that have a lot less at stake than the Trailblazers right now with their star questioning if the team is good enough to compete for a title. That's not the time for a team to experiment and see if an unproven female coach can cut it as an NBA head coach. There has been an immense push in sports to create equal opportunities for women. And as the father of a daughter, I'm glad to see it. 
I loved watching my daughter play in high school. I look forward to watching her play in college. There are some phenomenal female athletes out there. Athletes who will get a chance to find out their worth, corporate worth, now that we have the name, image, likeness opportunities. And we'll see where that goes. This is a great opportunity to find out if there's an untapped market for female athletes when it comes to endorsements. But that's not where we are with Becky Hammond and hiring by the Blazers or any other NBA team. A Hammond's hiring would, would make for a couple of good headlines for one team in the league. Are people going to buy tickets to watch her coach, buy NBA League Pass to do the same? It's a move that I could see an expansion team making. Clean slate, no expectations, why not give it a shot? But any other team is in some form of development that it's probably not eager to throw the unknown of how a group of men will respond to a female head coach. How will the assistants? Make no mistake, as a progressive, as, as progressive as the NBA may cast itself, it remains a cutthroat business full of testosterone and chest thumping. It's an experiment that has no easy exit either. Because let's say you have to fire Becky or whoever that first female head coach is after a year. You think that will go down as quietly as the Pacers letting Nate Bjorken go after one year? Not likely. And those are some of the things that GMs and owners do take into account before taking that leap. Well, all that said, I'm told that Olshay is safe for the time being. Certainly his relationship with Lillard, which I understand at least has been a good one, is a factor in his favor. The last current, the last piece of moving water in all this, though, is that Jody Allen is looking to sell the team. And I keep hearing that a sale could happen soon. That could potentially throw the status of Olshay and Billups and even Lillard, depending on how he feels about the new owner or owners, up in the air. So, as I said at the start, there's a lot of water moving around in Portland. And who gets pulled out to sea remains to be seen. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. There's almost as much turmoil surrounding the U.S. national team, isn't there? Zach Levine and Bradley Beal are in COVID protocol. Levine is apparently still expected to go to Tokyo eventually, but Beal is off the roster from as far as I can tell, along with Kevin Love, who is being given the out that his calf is still bothering him. From what I saw, he's just not ready to contribute in a meaningful way at this stage of his career. Keldon Johnson from the Spurs and JaVale McGee were added to the roster to replace Love and Beal. 
and the addition of McGee raised a lot of questions, especially with Trey Young apparently stumping on Twitter to suggest he was available but shunned. Now, I don't have a problem with Trey not being added to the roster. I saw him in the World Cup tryouts. He's not all that great with international competition rules. I understand that he might want to redeem himself for that showing, but this isn't the time or the place. Besides, look at the roster. They're chock full of scorers, even with the absence of Beal. They're short on defenders and big men, which is why Drew Holiday coming over after the finals are done is going to be a huge plus. Middleton will help as well. Devin Booker kind of piling on. What they don't have are bigs, which is why I get adding McGee. And I'm sure you're thinking, couldn't they do better? And to which I would say, like who? Look around the NBA. The best bigs are all European players. They all they also needed someone who may only see spot duty. Uh, they're going to go with Bam Adebayo and Draymond Green and KD as their bigs. So Steve Kerr's relationship with JaVale, having had him in a similar role on one of the Warriors championship teams, I'm sure made Pop comfortable that McGee wouldn't be a problem if his minutes are inconsistent or even non-existent which will depend on if their small ball lineups without a bio at center work. They'll find out pretty quickly. Their first game is against France, which not only has Rudy Gobert, but two other seven-footers in Mustafa Fall and Vincent Poirier. Then it's Iran with a couple of seven-footers, including former NBA center Hamed Haddadi. And finally, the Czech Republic with big man Andres Balvin, who played in the Vegas Summer League one year, and 6'11", Jan Vesely, who saw limited action with the Wizards and Nuggets. I'll say this. Putting together a Team USA roster is not nearly as simple as it seems. Guys don't want to commit if it means they're going to be riding the bench, or even come to camp if there's a risk that they could be cut. It's humiliating. They don't want to sacrifice the time away from their families during the offseason or the added grind it adds to their year of basketball, especially if it means they're just traveling and practicing but not playing. And then there's the pressure of playing under foreign rules in a foreign country with foreign referees against unfamiliar competition and a style of play starkly different from the NBA, but still expected to dominate and crush every opponent or be viewed as a disappointment. It's kind of a thankless task at this point. You can only fail. You win gold, then you've just met the mark. And that's if you win decisively. I also take issue with the dragging of Greg Popovich for a lot of the same reasons. Comparing his record of 9-5 and to Mike Krzyzewski's 75-1 is shooting fish in a barrel. Coach K came in to preside over the national team program when our collective pride had been wounded and players were motivated like never before to prove that the U.S. still ruled the world of basketball. He had Kobe and LeBron on multiple teams. Acting as if exhibition losses to Australia and Nigeria by Pop are crimes against humanity is silly 
Exhibitions are to figure out what you have and how you want to play, particularly when you've only had three days of practice. Coach K had far better rosters, far longer runways, and far more continuity between the teams. Why not bring up George Carl or Don Nelson and how they fared as national team coaches? And blaming Pop as Deadspin did because he was an assistant to Larry Brown when Brown got into a beef with a young LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Carmelo and wound up with a bronze in 2004 uh, is just completely unfair. Putting together a star-studded roster because, after all, don't forget, Team USA remains a global marketing arm of the NBA. This isn't all just patriotism and winning the gold. It's very much a vehicle, an advertising vehicle for the NBA. Putting together star-studded roster with the last two NBA seasons jumbled and off-season shortened, thereby persuading a lot of quality players to withdraw before ever going to camp. And these are, the only, these are only the ones that we know uh, that reduced the pool of ta- talent. LeBron, Steph Curry, James Harden, Anthony Davis, Paul George, those are the ones who might have been healthy enough to go. Kyrie and Kawhi Leonard obviously couldn't because of injury. Now, I'm not in love with this roster, but Pop has motivated them to improve their defense, run and share the ball, even though a lot of those things are not that natural to this particular group of stars. I need to see them in real games to know how much improvement they really made in beating Argentina and Spain. But I've seen U.S. national teams that didn't get along or hated their coach and were ready for the whole thing to be over well before it was. And that ain't this team. At least not yet. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And in the next episode, we will have Game 6 of the NBA Finals in the books and we will know if the Milwaukee Bucks have completed the run or if the Phoenix Suns have pushed it to a seventh game. As basketball fans, I feel as if either way, we can't lose. But in any case, we will break it all down here as we have all series long. In the meantime, as always, Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.